here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. back everybody to wrestling omakaze episode 22 and this week we're taking a brief pause in our year in review series to instead turn our topic turn our attention to the west coast pro wrestling gorilla is the topic on this week's omakaze and i have two guests both who are regulars at pwg to discuss it um first of all eric start with you since i've actually known you for a very long time great to have you on the show for your first time um And you've been going to PWG, what, since about 2013? 2013, my first show was 10, the 10th year anniversary, uh, where there was, they had a guerrilla warfare match, Drake, Younger, Kevin Steen, Adam Cole. We had a crazy ladder match, the Young Bucks, uh, Eddie Edwards, Roderick Strong, and Ricochet, Rich Swan. Uh, just PWG is the best. What can you say? <laughs> And Eric and I have actually known each other for a while through um, LA Kings Twitter, 
which yes. we were talking about before the show. There's, there's a weird little, um, you know, like parallel there between King's Twitter and PWG, I guess, because there's another famous King's blogger that goes to a lot of PWG shows, at yes. least one. Yep, the mayor. Um, but in our other guest, Brian, um, is someone who's been going to PWG for even longer. I believe you told me 2006, right? Yeah, it was actually after the the Bola of that year. I actually found out about PWG like the night three of Bola that year, and I was disappointed because I was like, "This is 15 minutes away from my house," and had I known about this two hours earlier, I would have been there. So I was yeah. like, "I got to be at the next show," and then the next show was like two weeks later, and that was my first show. Are you still 15 minutes from the venue they run or now? Oh yeah, and that's kind of one of the prime reasons I try not to miss a show. <laughs> Um, I've seen a lot of shows. I have a hot streak going going back years now. It's just, I feel like this. There's like a special something in that building, and to be this close and to miss it is just something that I can't do. You know, especially after all the history and all the guys that have come through it. It's been quite a journey to see all these guys come come and go for like, I don't know, 13 years now. It's been 14 years. Yeah. We are um, actually currently recording in Reseda. Oh wow, that's awesome! Actually, <laughs> so we have two people live from Reseda, one live from the Bronx. Uh, the, the 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 having a venue 15 minutes from your house thing is awesome because when briefly when Ring of Honor ran the Inman Sports Club at Edison, that was like 10 minutes from where I lived at the time, but it didn't last that long unfortunately. I I think they were still there for a while and they just sucked and I stopped going. So it's weird you when your local indie like I live 15 minute walk away, and it's yeah. weird when your local indie is one of the more prominent ones in the entire world. It's just. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So Brian, you also want to do something called the PWG trading cards. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just, um, I've been doing like graphic design work as like a fan. Cause I, I do graphic design work, you know, at work sometimes. And I do it on the side. Going back four or five years, I've been doing like graphics for each wrestler that entered Bola kind of thing to kind of hype up the show. And, you know, all of a sudden, like, Cody Rhodes got announced, and then I was just kind of, like, Googling stuff, you know, Dusty Rhodes, something like that, kind of a theme for that year for the graphic design, and all of a sudden, the WCW cards popped up, and I was like, wow, I'm going to do this, so I just kind of, like, made these designs based off the WCW cards, and then a good friend of mine, Chris, from Arkansas, reached out to me, he was like, I'm a fan of your work, and, you know, I, I work at a print shop, I can print these out for you for free on some, you know, cheap card stock. And I handed them out to the fans last year and it became this thing. And all of a sudden I see sets of cards online going for like, you know, hundreds of dollars and stuff. And it blew my mind. So like, to be so clear, like, you're okay, not, not going to do it right. You're not, making any, you're not making any money off of that, right? Like the hundreds of dollars. It's just people. Yeah, I'm not it. making any of that money. Yeah. Hey, that's kind of, you know, artist kind of thing. If you want to, you know, take my art and sell us, I'm cool with that. It's, you know, I have no, you know, it is what it is. I give it to the fans of whatever the fans want to do with it. That's fine. So we did the same thing this year. We kind of stepped up the quality high spots too to get some uh, some money for the wrestlers, and we got some donations too for um, at the time. You know, it was like a Houston thing going on with the hurricane, so we set up some auctions for that too with uh, some autograph cards. So it kind of worked out for everyone in the end. So mm. I think now it's going to be this annual tradition, officially licensed. It's just something for the fans, and we're not really selling them. And you know, it's just something that uh, kind of worked out. You know, everyone got a um, Got them happy with them. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. awesome. Um, but yeah, so both of you obviously know your PWG, and that's why you're both here, um, live from Reseda, in fact. 
Whereas mm-hmm. I've I've never been to a BWG show, obviously, and I don't really even watch them on tape that often. I think the last shows I watched was Bola of last year. But I like to get a wide variety of um, of different promotions and different styles on the show, and that's why we're doing PWG this week. And once again, like the CZW episode, it'll be up to the up to my guests here to carry the discussion for the most part. I do want to talk about like some of the. Um, you know, because PWG can be a very controversial promotion too, especially mm-hmm. in our in our bubble, and a lot of people have certain critiques of it. And we're going to get into that too, I think. Um, but first, let's start with like the lighter stuff, the lighter side of things. Um, what was PWG like when you first started going, Brian? You know, 2006. I was looking at who was champion. We're still in like the Joey Ryan Human Tornado era of the the PWG World Title, so not not quite. You know, a little while. A little while after that, I guess it looks like El Generico wins it in February of 2007, and then Brian Danielson, low key. So we really kind of start getting going with like the the more super indie era. But what was it like in in when you started going in late 2006? Man, it was uh, it was definitely not full. It was always like around 200 people in Reseda, like the the big All Star Weekend or something. Um, there was no standing room only yet. It was crazy. Dollars. Um, you can just walk up and get a ticket for 20, just different times, man. And overall the card, you know, it had a lot of locals and stuff and you can tell like which guys were kind of like the draw and the draws were basically the guys that were coming, you know, fly-ins and stuff. Like, uh, I remember seeing like, um, Pac for the first time in the States, like his first match in the States against AJ Styles. And then the next night, killing it with El Generico. And that was kind of like the turning point for both their careers, I felt. And just seeing that from the beginning was kind of crazy. And just seeing it, like, the difference now and, like, especially when there was no, like, real social media at the time. Like, there was MySpace, but I wasn't really, like, into that kind of thing. I think Twitter really kind of blew up the whole community. Like, uh, there was very much a, a community now, but, like, there wasn't much of a community then. Like, small groups and pockets there, the regulars. But mainly it was just a bunch of like random fans coming in all the time. Pretty much like this community where it's like you expect to see the same people. It's almost like kind of like a community barbecue kind of thing without the barbecue. Mm. So it's really cool. And just to see the growth and the building and being Larry for 13 years, Legion Larry, the legend. Um, he's the guy that runs the joint and he's been running it for. I even remember going back to the building in 2002 before PWG was there been hosting random wrestlings forever i guess i remember seeing terry funk there i think they had a show with sabu there that i missed but yeah that building goes way back and um it's just a trip to see where it's been, where it's become and man growth is something else you know what i mean <laughs> yeah how, how many like um so nowadays right when you have the the building selling out you know the moment they put tickets on sale is there any way for you to like gauge like how many of the fans now are locals and how many just fly in for the shows? Because I've I've heard like Meltzer has written about this. That there's like fly-in fans. Have you seen that to be the case? Well, we have Andy yeah, definitely. Boston, I think who comes in every single show. He wears the Boston jersey. Sits on the uh, hard camp side, and uh, Bay Area is a huge turnout for PWG as well. There was actually. Uh, all-Star Weekend, night two, was the day after – or no, night one was 
the week after the Dodgers had clinched to go to the World Series. And during night one, Ray Hortis took my Dodgers hat to collect money that was thrown in the ring. And there was a pretty good amount of booze. (laughs) A very good uh, Bay Area turnout for PWG. Uh, You always get people from out of the country for every show. You'll get some new guys that are just like, oh, like they're asking the front of the line people what they do, like what line to get in, how does it work? And I'd say people, it's, it is hard though to try and plan a trip around PWG with, you never know when the date of the next show is going to be. It's usually, I'd say maybe six weeks notice. And it's, I mean, give you six weeks to travel from Australia to come to Reseda, California is not that doable. Yeah. I mean, like I'm looking at coming to LA twice next year and like, I have no idea if there would be, a, I mean, I would love to go to a PWG show, but like who the fuck knows if they'd actually run it. <laughs> the the weekend of the run. yeah because i mean i don't if, if they could do something the weekend of because one of the things i'm going to fly in for is probably the new japan show in in long beach and it'd be awesome if they could run like a show in a pwg show that weekend but i yeah. don't know if they, they they don't need the help drawing so i guess they really have no reason to um other than they could use like maybe kenny omega and some other dudes but um and that is funny know. to me to see uh I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Elgin's uh, promotion, Glory Pro, but he's been booking Naito for a couple shows this year, and uh, PWG hasn't even considered it, or if Naito's not interested. I don't know if uh, many of these Japan guys, or Dragon in particular, is too crazy about booking guys from New Japan. Uh, I mean, we did have a Takahashi last year as Kama Itachi, he only got him for two shows or whatever, and he doesn't seem to be too too crazy about booking those guys. I think he's uh, more about trying to build guys who are creating like minor, who are creating buzz, bring them to PWG. If they get over, then they're going to get booked everywhere around the world. And you know, he doesn't usually. Dragon just doesn't care for the big guys up until Bola. Like, he books Jushin Thunder Liger for Bola. He brought Kenny Omega in for this year. Uh, it's just with the year of shows, I think he's just trying to build these new stars and give these guys a platform to be on one of the most prestigious indies on the planet. Yeah. Um, didn't so, so who – Elgin works Bola this year, right? Yes. Okay. He lost night two to Matt Riddle. How did how did he look in in PWG? Was he did he get over? Uh, I mean, he's been a PWG regular basically since what, like 2012. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, he's been to the Bola Finals. He went Bola Finals 2013 against Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, him and Brian Cage are a pretty good tag team. The Unbreakable FN Machines. Honestly, like one of the top five matches of the Bola weekend this year. But so when there was no, again, though. there is no gas. He's getting like booze. <laughs> you know what Sorry, I mean? He's getting booze. Oh, he is getting booze. The problem is, is like, it's one of those things where he's been there for a while, and people kind of get tired of your shtick, kind of thing. But mm. I still appreciate him. I think I still think he puts up good matches. Just some matches are kind of hit and miss with some guys. Like I think there was a match with Shane Strickland this year that just didn't click at all, mm. and like the fans really turned on that. And I know there's like a pocket of fans that we hang out with that are just kind of like been here for a while. We've seen Michael Elkin kind of do the same thing. Him and Brian Cage, like they're in that tag team, right? And like they kind of get this reaction where it's like been there, done that. 
But people mm-hmm. forget, like, you know, like Chris Hero used to get booed all the time in PWG, and people like don't even know that era. You know, I remember that era where Chris Hero was throwing all these elbows, and people were booing him because he was doing doing too many elbows. And like, you know, I feel like people forgot about that. And once you've been on the Indies for so long, they're gonna forget that they booed you and then start cheering you again. So I keep laughing at all these people that are like booing Michael Elgin and booing Brian Cage now because it's like in a year from now, you're probably going to be cheering them again because that's the way wrestling is. You know what I mean? It's like the, the cycle. Yeah, there's like so, a lot of changes over the years. Like, booed so we'll cheered tell, again. It's crazy. So tell me what, what gets you booed then in PWG? It's really just we're tired of seeing you or – where we don't think you're good enough to be in the PWG ring. Like what slow is it? Paced matches for your debut is an automatic killer. You got to come out hot. You got to come out doing some crazy shit. You just got to do whatever you got to do to get yourself over. And Dragon's mentality really with a lot of these shows is that you're try every match should stand alone as what could possibly be the match of the night. With a lot of bookers and promotions, everything just builds to the main event. And I think Dragon just tells these guys, like, do whatever and get do whatever you got to do to get over because there's no rules. So, obviously, that that's appealing to a lot of people. And then on the other hand, um, you know, to, to your type that isn't really – that wants to see a more traditional wrestling show, I guess mm-hmm. PWG probably isn't for them. Is that fair? Oh, PWG is not traditional whatsoever. That is fair. Yeah. Um, but if you guys have heard, because you, you guys are longtime fans, I'm sure you see like critiques online um, of PWG and the promotion and its product. What critiques do you think are fair? And what critiques do you think are completely like off base? If you can think of any. Uh, Brian, you start with that. I think I got one. Uh, the building, right? Everyone's complaining about the building. Problem is in LA, good buildings. Like, yeah, there are there those independent wrestling companies that run in, around LA and stuff, but it doesn't have the the same environment. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you listen to like the DVDs, right, you can hear the crowd in that small building. It's because of the acoustics and the way that building is put together. Like, there's a lot of wood on the walls, like old wood, and like the sound just bounces. You know what I mean? So, it's part of the atmosphere of that building. And if you want to move out. Yeah, that's great. But you got to find a building that's going to accommodate like a liquor license, um, you know, great acoustics, uh, good, you know, like it, there's no bad seat in Reseda because the building is so small, right? So if you pick a building with like some weird bad seating, that's going to be a negative too. So people do criticize like, yeah, why don't they go to a bigger building? You know what I mean? And like they're trying to like not grow. It's not that they're not trying to grow. It's just like they're successful at what they do. They don't need to grow. They're They're at what, you know make and they're going to make the same amount of money either way so what what is um, why get a bigger building for a bigger cost just for the listener at home that might not know what is the you know i don't know off the top of my head either honestly what is the actual max attendance of the building uh it's like 500 and i think they have reserved 50 for like crew and stuff because i think the the fire cut says 450 i think i saw in like a old document or whatever when i was looking it up okay so they sell like 400 tickets yeah that's what you're saying tickets are yeah, tickets are like 65 to 70, depending on the show, 80 for All-Star Weekend and bowls and stuff. And I get the criticism, like, yeah, it's expensive, but, you know, it, it's the law of business, supply and demand. You have a high demand, uh, low supply of tickets, you raise the prices. It's just like a natural thing. Like, this is business, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, no, people, people, if people uh, complain about $80, like, 
That's fucking insane. Like eighty dollars is not that if you compare to like what a lot of other promotion things charge nowadays, like eighty dollars is not that bad. I don't know. That's insane. Yeah, Maybe it's felt like Ring of Honor's cheaper or whatever, but you know, with Ring of Honor, you gotta pay for those meet and greets with like the Bucks and it, Kenny Omega and all that stuff. Whenever the Bucks are there, they're just out there taking pictures with fans and stuff. It's part of the ticket. So I, I think there's like some some stuff missing there. It's like, yeah, the tickets are cheaper, but then you're paying like forty dollars for a meet and greet that that's all inclusive in a PWG ticket already. Is it only is eighty dollars general admission? Yeah. Is there any? Yeah, like, it's like well, it? that's like a bola. Is front row is like row? I don't know ninety to hundred. Yeah, ninety yeah. to hundred front row. Because I was like I was I thinking like I, I was thinking like I was paying I was paying like a hundred for front row for Ring of Honor like you know in like two thousand four. So like that's nothing. But I don't know. And I, mean, I have no idea. I have no idea what I have no idea what Ring of Honor charges for front row now. But I th- I assume it's a lot more than like seven, the seventy five to one hundred I was paying then. Crazy. In fact, yeah. WWE's prices for their lackluster shows, it's like you're not getting a better deal when you go to PWG with the intimacy of the entire venue, the crowd that's always just hot throughout the entire night the quality of matches you're getting, the people that you're getting to see before they become who they eventually become, like Kevin Steen or Pac, Ricochet. It's just, you can't get a better deal anywhere else. Hmm. So, so what about like the, the criticisms of the, of the wrestling style and like, you know, whether or not there's enough of like storyline to, to tie everything together? Cause this is the stuff I see on Twitter a lot and I'm interested in how two like longtime fans would reply to that. PWG is a damn spot. Well, I think... <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> you know, being a PWG fan is what it is. Like, you go into this hot building and you see these guys just ridiculously put their bodies on the line for what reason? It's just because it's PWG and you go all out. And when you get over in PWG, you get booked everywhere. And it's just the only place where you can do this ridiculous style. And it's just... I don't get it. I don't get it. There's some stuff where the crowd just gets over on everything. And and that's a criticism that's fair is how the crowds just love everything. It's like, yeah, sometimes there's some really dumb stuff that gets over and it becomes a thing and I hate it, but it'll pass. And yeah, just. Yeah, I storylines are there. It's just you got to like pay attention, you know, like the Chuck Taylor thing. Like that was like a slow kind of burn that kind of came out of nowhere. Sometimes the storyline just kind of come naturally, like that Chuck Taylor thing. <clears throat> he was undefeated for a year and a half, and then it built up to a title shot, and he loses, and then it becomes a redemption thing, and he gets a rematch, and he wins the title. Like, to me, you know what I mean? It's just, you got to pick and choose, you know, like, delisting, and like, the, I don't know, understand what's going on. These seem like random matches to me. But if you look at it, like, it's a slow, like, some of them are storylines, you know. Not everything is random. And especially what they did with Bola Weekend and All-Star Weekend with Ricochet turning heel and all that kind of thing. That's a storyline right there that everyone's talking about. And I, so, talked so- with, uh, I talked with Dave Meltzer after Bola Night. <coughs> and the first thing I went up to him with, I, I had a question. I was just like, can you believe that Joey Janela and Sammy Guevara had a better match than the Elite? And he laughed. He was just like, yeah, like future superstars. Like, and you just never know who's going to shine every show at PWG. It's always a random match. You always go in looking forward to certain matches, but then it's just at one random match that just blows you away, and you become a, a fan of someone new. It's just awesome. 
so can you talk us through the ricochet storyline since that came out like how did that how did that play out well i think a lot of us felt like ricochet had to turn heel right like that am i right eric like that was the feeling there we have a there's a crew of pwg guys who are just pwg experts at, at this point and they've predicted the past few bola winners new champs when it was gonna like at what point things were gonna happen and ricochet heel turn was definitely a big conversation and just trying to figure out who was gonna win bola this year and the Kentucky connection was also a big thing with that storyline. Right. I mean, they got the big history, those two, right? So if he did win, he would, you know, if he did it as a babyface, it'd just be boring and, you know, just another match. But the fact that he turned heel led to this bigger epic kind of feel to the match when we saw it live and it added something to it. So, like, it's been kind of building because I remember there was a tweet from Ricochet back from, like, I don't know, like the summer maybe, sometime around then where he was just like, how come Marty Skrull is like the coolest guy and selling all these t-shirts and stuff and like no one is nearly buying as many as my t-shirts? Like, do I need to turn heel? And then some people respond. It's like, it's not just about turning heel. It's like the attitude behind the personality kind of thing. And that's what kind of led into like thinking like maybe I should turn heel, I think. Led to, you know, what we saw Bola, you know. So turns so, heel. So I so when you describe that storyline that that was based off of a tweet about wrestling t-shirt sales i mean i i am picturing a certain type of fans like head exploding and i always want to like point that out on this kind of episode where like you know there are there are fans out there they're going to hate any kind of storyline based around you know a tweet and wrestling t-shirt sales and i can't really say that i blame them but um it's a very very interesting way to run a wrestling promotion but if it were i mean look what ricochet teases that on twitter um like, did enough fans know about it in the building? Like, are the fans so hardcore? That no, it wasn't it? really picked up on. Mm, okay, it's interesting. So what was – if you didn't know about the tweet, what is the reason why he turned heel, like, if you're in the building? Uh, okay. But basically, yeah, it's just you kind of, like, pick up on little things, and then, like, it wasn't really picked up upon the crowd. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think once the finals started happening and he started acting like a dick to both guys, Keith Lee and Jeff Cobb, it was like yeah. it was it. We figured it out, and like, yeah, he's finally doing it. More, you make more sense to turn heel because now he feels like he's bigger than PWG, right? And he feels like he's bigger than the Indies, and now that he's quote unquote on the way out, it's like this story of him being bigger than PWG itself, and now he's either gonna leave the champ or gonna you know drop the title to someone on the last show if it so is his last show. So, so it sounds a lot like the punk thing, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you can do that on the Indies every once in a while because that's kind of what happens naturally anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, like, when I, heard, I when I read about it, that's what it sounded like to me was, like, the punk thing. But, I mean, this is – obviously, this is not the first time PWG would have done a storyline based around someone, like, selling out, right? Because you had all those um, – who are all these – there's a lot of guys that have done that storyline with TNA, right? Didn't the Young Bucks do that at one point? Like, they did, a t- like, a uh, We Sold Out storyline? I think they were just like embracing the whole TNA thing. And then once they got fired, they kind of rejected it. <laughs> I do remember that era of the Bucks where they were doing like all the Dixie Carter stuff. And yeah. So like they were, that they were healing on in, in PWG based on being in like TNA of generation me. Right. Like that was a thing for a little while. Um, it actually started before that. Like it started before that, like the young bucks turning heel. This is a history lesson folks. Um, like it was a DDT four. It was against Chuck Taylor and Kenny Omega and going in, they were just normal baby faces, but there was a botch from the ref that it looked like 
Kenny Omega like got the three count, but like there was like a miscommunication and it was a big botch and the crowd just lost it. And they just turned against the Bucks completely that night and just boo the hell out of them. And they turned heel. Like they, the fans basically forced them to turn heel. And after a few shows, they started to embrace it. And then they got signed by TNA. And then once they got released by TNA, they just went all out with the whole heel shtick. And that's what's, that's what became what uh, the Bucks are now, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for that one match with Kenny Omega and Chuck Taylor, like, history would have been completely different. Because they would have been just normal baby faces getting nowhere and, like, had no personality. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I remember them that night clearly. And then a- afterward, it was just like, wow, that was the turning point. And I feel from that moment on is, like, the turning point for, like, Kenny Omega and the Bucks. Because it kind of made, you know made their careers like turn in an instant it's crazy mm. yeah i mean with, with kenny though obviously there's a lot of it is what happened in japan too but the bucks that makes sense for sure yeah because yeah, kenny like if i don't know how Kenny's yeah, career was... would have would have gone if he hadn't gone to ddt and gotten over there first but um as far yeah. as <laughs> as far as like the so the young bucks are very very tied to the image of pwg and you just went over some of like their history there um what what has it been like, I guess, seeing them, you know, basically start out there into turning into what they've turned into today? Like what has that been like watching the young yeah, bucks? It's, <laughs> it's beautiful. Like they they started out like a rockers tag team that had no merch. They had like a lame catchphrase. What was the catchphrase? Um, they just did a bunch of spots, you know. Um wait, was it oh no, it's just more bang for your buck, I guess. Oh, I guess okay. that's not really Casper. That was just kind of like their finisher. I kind of forgot. I kind of mixed it up. But, yeah, they were just kind of bland. And then all of a sudden, like, the heel turn and then the TNA thing. And then, like, it was like Kevin Steen, like, kind of, like, came in one day, I remember. And he sold, like, hundreds of shirts. Like, he had this bag full of shirts. And he sold them all. And then I remember, like, uh, seeing something from, like, a hearing on, like, a Cole Cabana podcast, I think, about how, like, that kind of motivated him even more and like they just wanted to be like the t-shirt sellers and look where they are today so that they're, they're very motivated you know and to see them be motivated and grow and they're always changing their styles up a little like everyone kind of sees them as like the same old same old every match but if you kind of look at them over the years they're kind of slow tweaking some things they don't do some of the same things they used to do it's like they're the homegrown talent man because I remember them before, like they even went to Dragon Gate, and they were just so bland and stuff. And yeah, they sucked. They fucking sucked at Dragon. They were, they were really <laughs> bad. They were really bad at Dragon. I mean, that, I, that's one of. Um, speaking as a Dragon Gate viewer, they were like when they came in, it was just absolutely nothing. I don't. I don't know. It just really did not work for them at all in Dragon Gate. But they also came during like one of Dragon Gate's like worst years too, which might be a big part of it too. Like if they had waited a couple more years and came. <laughs> Like during the middle of that 2011 period, instead of like on nine ten, it probably would have gone a lot better for them. But what are you gonna do? I guess. Um, yeah. But obviously they would they would find more success in Japan and New Japan. Although um, the crowd reactions to them in New Japan are still kind of eh. Um, as far as like the the Bucks go, in you know with the T-shirt thing you brought up, that's you know that I feel like that's a big point where it sort of feels like the t-shirt thing has become like a big, big deal in indie wrestling with, you know, pro wrestling tees and everything. And the bucks are very tied to that. Um, 
you know, so it, it's interesting that you point out that Kevin Steen was selling out his shirts. Was there anybody else that were like really big merch sellers in PWG that you feel like people might not even know about nowadays? It feels like Kevin Steen was just the big one, right? Like Eric, when you came in, like he was like the guy. Wasn't that the feeling? Definitely. Everyone had the Kill Steen Kill shirts. Uh, Drake was selling a good amount. Joey Ryan always sells a good amount. Uh, the Bucks, once they upped their T-shirt game and got some good logos, they became – and just – they're I mean, I, talking about the Bucks and selling T-shirts, but going way back to when – I mean, I bought their uh, Milwaukee Bucks parody mm-hmm. shirt and just seeing where they've gotten to from there to now. I remember when they – I forgot what show it was, but it was right after they had joined Bullet Club and they brought Bullet Club shirts to PWG to sell and just in a second – and it was sold out. And it was the first time for me at least seeing Bullet Club shirts available in the States. And mm. Yeah, it was like, like boom, right? It was like, like overnight. Instant. Yeah. It was, uh, once the Bucks joined the Bullet Club, that's when they were – I mean, I don't know. Like obviously they have huge involvement with the brand and just getting it out there. They are really the reason for their Hot Topic deal, but – Brian has a funny – or not funny, but he's brought up many times when we talk about how Colt Cabana with Pro Wrestling Tees is the reason for this indie boom. And at least for that market for the wrestlers that's selling their T-shirts is that it all really goes back to Colt Cabana. Yeah, that's, that's a big one too. Like even though he never went to PWG as much, I think the guy that changed everything in terms of like where, where we see merchandise today founders of pro wrestling tees and it made kevin steen's career turn around i feel like he as soon as he joined pro wrestling tees his career started to skyrocket same thing with the bucks mm. so i mean it, it was really yeah like that, that was such a catalyst for them being able to make a lot more money too it was just the the t-shirt sales um okay so transitioning out of that from the t-shirts back to how PWG has changed over the years since you're such a longtime fan. Is there like any moment or year where you really think it went from using a lot more local guys to using a lot more of the like super indie guys, or was it much more of a gradual thing? I think the show that turned it around was the Paul London show. First mm-hmm. show of like 09. Cause I remember that was the first show where like that was standing room only and that never happened before. And I think it was just like a six-man main event with Paul London and the Bucks. I think it was against like Joey Ryan and like Carl Anderson and I think like Scott Lost or something like that. But I remember like, man, this is like something's happening right now because I've never seen it this big and full. I don't know if it was just the Paul London thing or like the buzz going around, but ever since then, like the show started to gradually, gradually get better, better booking, more uh, flying talent. Um. Ever since then, it kind of like that was the turnaround. I feel to where, like modern PWG, where it ended up being. You know what I mean? Like I could the, say the, uh, the first, like the, yeah. Go ahead. I could say that Bullet 2014 was really the year when they brought in all. It was like the British Invasion plus AJ Styles, and that's when after that, and they saw the success they had. That's I mean that's after that, and we consistently have been having Zack Saber Jr. and all these guy and Marty Skrull. And Kenny Omega came back that year too as well. And since then, I think that's when we've really gradually started getting away from the local guys is that 
at some point they knew they figured out their budget to put on the biggest bola ever, which was at the at the time 2014, and that was also when they went from two to three days. So mm-hmm. they were able to sell out three days in a row for the first time, and they knew how much money they could make, and that was even before the current ticket price. So since then they've just they keep <laughs> recycling the budget every show and they know who they can get they know who they can afford it's all about availability at that point but i think 2014 bola was the year where they went all in and it worked and since then it's been non-stop so so here's the the question yeah. then so the critique that people have that you know that it's now the, the especially bola is you know a, a lot of british indie guys and that PWG has lost its sense of being connected at all to the to the California indie scene. Is that valid? Is that a valid critique? And does that matter to you guys that it's not, you know, <laughs> that PWG isn't anything to do with California anymore as far as like the indie scene goes? I don't know about that. No, I mean, we got Jeff Cobb, you know, he's awesome. And um, there are other guys that could probably do PWG that are not on like uh, Super Dragon's radar, I guess. Um, because it feels like it's got to be like word of mouth from like the guys in the back at this point. And then followed up by like, you know, people hitting up the PWG Twitter, I think, recommending people. Um, but yeah, the locals, I mean, it depends, man. Because I went to a PCW show. It's like a local pr- promotion here. I saw some local guys that I felt like, yeah, you can be. But then it's like, yeah, you're definitely not going to make it a PWG, buddy. But that's kind of the way it is, man. And, you know, top talent is top talent, and it doesn't matter where they come from. Um, mm. I mean, Jeff Cobb is a local I consider because he's, you know, uh, I think Central California. I don't even know, but he's definitely in California, and it works out fine with him. So, And I know he's not the only one I'm thinking. Brian Cage is another one. Um, I think some guys are based out of L.A. that I think I'm not thinking of right now, but it just depends, you know. Um you got to get people talking about you to get noticed. So that's on you, I think. It's so hard for me to call PWG an indie or a California indie anymore. Either way, it's just they honestly are at the point of which if you're ranking as far as just prestigeness and demand, I think it's top three. I mean, not saying that quality-wise, or I think these guys are number one, but WWE – just on solely the fact that it's WWE it has to be number one, New Japan, and how can you argue that PWG as far as worldly recognition and buzz and who they're booking? I mean, it's a debate to say that they're the third biggest promotion you could be with in the world right now. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but I'd put them top five at least. At least, which is still New Japan. Because you, if you're going to get booked in New Japan, they they pay a lot of attention to CMLL. Yeah, so that they should be up there too, probably. And then Ring of Honor has that direct connection with New Japan too, and runs bigger buildings and stuff. But um, but you're probably right. Like on a buzz level, working PWG helps a lot with, you know, with Regal, you know, attending shows and stuff, and obviously with Mr. Dave Meltzer attending shows which yes. is another thing I wanted to ask you guys about. So when, when did Meltzer start coming to pretty much every show? That, that was like in the past year, right? I think sometime last year, right? Like, I wouldn't say last year. Like, he just started coming in. Bola 2015, I think, was when he – no, it wasn't Bola. 
uh, what was I remember when he first showed up and everyone was just marking out. It was a random show. But since then, like, he just – he always says it where even uh, – I'll never forget Mystery Vortex 2016, easily the worst PWG show I've ever been to. <laughs> and just asking Dave what he felt about the show. And he it was just like, hey, have a good time. He's like, oh, I always have a good time. Dave, he just loves going at this point when he can. It, it is a trip for him, and he is a busy man. But he knows he's never going to miss a bola or an all-star weekend or when the Bucks might have a big match. He's going to be there. And he doesn't go to every show, but he definitely made a good effort this year to make it to as many shows as he could. Went to all three nights of bola. And, I mean, it's just another one in the bucket of who's been to PWG. I mean, it is Dave Meltzer, Big Daddy Meltzer. He is a legend in these parts. But, I mean, having Ronda Rousey and uh, Sofia Vergara and Topanga from Boy Meets World, it's just like PWG is the place to be. Um, who would have thought in Reseda, California, of all places, too? The, the Meltz thing is interesting, though, because obviously – um, him being at so many shows and talking about it and throwing around the star ratings has attracted certain kind of criticism from a certain kind of pe- person. Um, have you noticed a difference in the reaction to PWG, like on Twitter and stuff, since Melcher started going? Because I, I think I have, but I'm interested to hear your perspective. What's that? Uh, drastically, I've noticed changes, yes. <laughs> And just people who have never been there who are criticizing it, which I think is a big issue, where and they're just going off of what they're seeing. And I it's understandable where we were talking earlier with how people like traditional style wrestling and just this thing is not for them. But until you go to PWG and experience Legion Hall and the fans and the atmosphere and the pitches of beer and the sticky floor and you see the effort that these guys are really giving, like you're not gonna see PWG effort in a random show in Tennessee. It's just these guys know where they are. They know if they want to come back, they need to bring it. And that's just the mentality of Super Dragon, really. And you can see it in the ring. And there's like been times where I'm scared because these guys are going so hard. And I think that someone's going to die and the ring is shitty. And I've been, I duck whenever Keith Lee runs the ropes right in front of me because I'll sit front row and risk my life every time I go. Excalibur used to, in his uh, pre-show monologue, used to always warn the fans about getting out of the way when guys were doing dives. And, and that's another thing with PWG and the crowd that I love is that if you're in the first three rows, you need to have good ring psychology to know when these guys are about to do a spot to get the fuck out of the way. So they don't have anybody on the floor telling you? <laughs> oh, no, we just know that. Okay. Oh, and I mean, sometimes the wrestlers will give us a kind of a hint like, hey, you might want to get out of the way. But most of the time, as soon as you see a guy on your side, you know something might go down, you might as well just get up and move. So it also just gives them an opportunity to do a spot where I think when you move out like, and you create a whole area for the wrestlers to do something, they're going to do something with it. Interesting. But, um, I mean, there was a moment during Bola where a fan was uh, annoying Marty Skrull, and then he threw Flash Morgan Webster at the fan – and Morgan Webster definitely gave that guy a concussion. So sometimes you're not ready, but, you know, he's got to be smarter than that. Don't annoy the villain. Um, do you have any thoughts on this, Brian? Like, have you noticed any differences since the melts started going to shows? 
Yeah, I think it's just like um, a victim of circumstance. Like he lives in California. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a drive for him. And, you know, to like if he lived in like, you know, a different state or whatever, it'd be a different story, obviously, because of the convenience. You know what I mean? But it's just so convenient for him to drive down. Um, I think he gets a room at the Hojo next door, Howard Johnson. Last time he came with his kid, he was just spending time with his kid enjoying the show. So, you know, I think he just kind of gets some flack for, you know, being a critic. But um, at the same time, it's like, you know, there have been critics of art and different types of art for hundreds of years, you know. He's just yeah. another critic. And I think people kind of give him flack for, like, you know, just because he's smart and he watches a lot of wrestling doesn't mean, like, you know, you have to, like, rag on the guy. And, yeah, he might have a different opinion of what you think. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to, like, take his word as, like, you know, gospel. He's just a, a guy with a different opinion, and people take his opinion way too seriously. Well, I definitely I mean, agree. I agree with him sometimes, and I disagree. I definitely agree with that, that people really, like, so that, they lose their fucking minds over his star ratings, which uh, it never made any sense to me why. You know, I, I get it to a degree that maybe people, he, he has a lot of influence on what people think. But at the same time, like, at the end of the day, he's just a guy rating matches. He's not... I don't know. People need to calm down sometimes when they react to star ratings. Like he's had some star ratings over the years that I think he's like out of his fucking mind on. I mean, the one I can think of immediately is uh, when he gave that fucking Nakamura Joe match from the Brooklyn takeover, like four and a quarter. when I thought that match was like pretty terrible. So, you know, not not everybody's gonna always agree with all all of his star ratings, but like he gave Cody and Okada four and a half, and I was just, oh that was like a two star match, yeah. yeah <laughs> that was the moment where I was just like, all right, so have your own opinion, and you know Dave's <laughs> just trying to get over, but no, he's a good guy, and it's cool to have him at the shows, and he pays for his ticket in case anyone thinks that he just gets in for free because he's Dave Meltzer. No one gets in for free. We've had yeah, that's a rule. We had a, no one gets in for free. Had, Dragon will make you pay. <laughs> Jerry O'Connell <laughs> had to pay, and he didn't, and he left. Wait, who? Jerry O'Connell, the actor. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's funny. That's a PWG moment. Yeah. For sure. So, so let's transition into that. What are some? Give me some PWG moments. Like, what are what are moments you guys remember Ooh. from attending all these shows? Let's get light and fluffy here. I mean, my favorite, my favorite moment is the ladder match between El Generico and Kevin Steen. And I remember that night, and I remember being packed to the gills as usual. Um, that was the night that Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly debuted, and they killed it with the Bucks in one of the, you know, an awesome tag team epic match. Um, everyone was clicking that night. You know, I think Chuck Taylor Ricochet had a good match that night. You still had some, like, locals that were still, like, doing some good matches, I remember. Um, just that ladder match was, like, the most emotional thing I think I've seen there because – the storyline between El Generico and Kevin Steen at the time, they were both baby faces, which is really weird. And you were just like, the crowd would be split, but rooting for both. And then once they brought down, like they literally tore the roof down kind of, because they attached the belt to the vent on the ceiling and Generico couldn't get it down. So he just ripped it down. And then they really fell on his head, but he just held the belt up and declared the winner. And to me, that's the best match in PWG history. All the matches I've seen, that was the most emotional. And then Super Dragon coming out of retirement, not retirement, but like out of hiding, I guess, kind of. Mm -hmm. He's a legend. He kind of comes out, you know, whenever he wants to. And then coming out with the lights out and um, him coming out, man, that was something else. And then him and Bucks setting up the match at the next show with 
Super Dragon's Return. Like, I got goosebumps thinking thinking about it. I get goosebumps remembering about it. Like, that was the moment for me in all of PWG, I think. Like, nothing can top that. <laughs> Some can come close. Like, I think the moment Candace won, I don't know if you agree with me on this one, Eric, but when Candace won, I thought that was a really big deal when she pinned um, Jackson in that street fight. But that was another big one, too. No, that was just a gruesome, brutal match. And seeing her take that super kick with the thumbtacks, I mean, and weird that she isn't booked in PWG anymore. Just, I mean, it is what it is. But, I mean, with PWG moments, I think the both formations of Mount Rushmore have been pretty amazing to witness live. And, uh, God, just seeing some debuts and seeing these guys, like, where they are now is just thinking back at those moments. And another moment I love, I'll never forget was uh, Chris Hero's return and he fought Adam Cole for the title. And it wasn't that great of a match, but just having him back, like honestly my all time favorite wrestler is Chris Hero. And I think he's the greatest American indie wrestler of all time and the most important. And I think that he's going to be an amazing trainer one day and he's just so smart and knows that he's just a veteran and seeing him come back to PWG was awesome. And all the criticism he got for his body change and just the way he changed his style. And seeing his the evolution of Chris Hero's second indie run was amazing. And to see him back in WWE having stability with a paycheck every week is awesome. I'm just happy for him personally. Uh, yeah, seeing Zack Sabre Jr. win the title was awesome. Him and Roddy had an amazing rivalry. Roddy, in general, his title reign is the best I've seen in PWG. He was the most legit heel I think I've ever seen in PWG. Uh, Everyone booed him every time. The whole building was flipping him off. And, I mean, that's something PWG's been lacking since he left is a legit heel. And Roddy, and someone who I didn't like until he won the title. Because after he won the title, he just stepped his game up and really became one of my favorites after that. Why was he so over as a heel? Oh my god, he's such a fucking dick. <laughs> Fuck that's, just, that's really all there is to it. He just was really good. <laughs> he tried to make me pay ten dollars for a picture. Fuck that guy. <laughs> but I love Roddy. <laughs> um so with this this ricochet run that we don't know how long it's gonna last, do you have any predictions on who who might take the belt off him? Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. January twelfth, who's the new champ? We might have this <laughs> We might have the same, I think, the same answer. Uh, we're going with Keith Lee because he's a guy that is probably the most over in the last year since he debuted. Ever since he started killing it from his first match, like the crowd just got behind him. And I think him, Bola Weekend, he was probably co-MVP maybe with like um, – and they were they killed it in that match, one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life um, uh, between those two. And then – leading up to the final where he gets screwed over. And then he's, you know, he's got two big wins coming out all-star weekend. He just seems like the guy. He's got the most support um, in a big singles match. would do a lot for his career. And if Ricochet does it right, he can make it epic and kind of do the right thing if it is his last show. There's another couple shows, maybe you hold off on that. Um, but I do feel like Keith Lee is the guy. Do it now before he's getting swooped up because – Man, like, if you look at him, like, at the beginning of this year and look at him now, that dude has gotten some, like, much better shape. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like he knows, like, this is his moment and this is his time. And, like, 
He's he's cleaning up his look. He's getting better and better in the ring. He's working with all these different guys, like small guys, big guys, and having like these great matches every time. Um, he feels like he's the guy. No, he's yeah. absolutely going to be swooped up soon. He's part Someone, of the radar. someone's gonna someone's gonna sign him. I feel like but either he's, like New he's Japan on the bald guys who have had ESPN articles every day. Him, Leo Rush, and Dijak have been very consistently been on ESPN.com, and they're they were all under Evolve. And I think that he's the next guy to eventually just get signed to WWE due to their close relationship. And I mean, you can't deny the fact that he's one of the best big men in the world right now. And I think with PWG giving Ricochet and Chuck Taylor the titles recently was more of a thank you for all your years of service. Like Chuck Taylor, especially just him and the Bucks at this point are the longest reigning guys that are still in PWG ever since Steen left, Hero left, Generico left. Uh, when, when did Chuck Taylor start? That's true. Uh, 2008. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think I missed the the first show. It was like an all-star weekend. I missed the night one. I went to night two, and I think I saw him wrestle, I think Candice or something. Um, one of those wacky things or whatever. Comedy wrestler, and then over time, he just kind of evolved, and some people still think he's a comedy wrestler and a joke, and I, I can understand the criticism, but it told a great story, and, you know, did it, and... Um, I guess you can't deny what the people want, especially around anniversary show time. You got to give that big victory to the guy that deserves it the most, especially against your top heel. And PWG kind of usually does that whenever they build up a big title match, they'll reward the, the baby face. And yeah, it was cool to see Chuck Taylor in that journey. But um, now, you know, now that it's over, um, I think people can kind of be at ease about it. I know there was a lot like some negativity about it, especially like some, close friends of mine at PWG that were just not feeling, you know, I was like, just whatever, man, <laughs> you know, let them have it. Is what, what has Chuck Taylor meant over the years to PWG other than like his evolution from comedy guy to, um, you know, more of a serious dude. You know, he's just always been reliable. You know, every time he's in the match, he's usually like the opener or like someone to like, you throw in like a, a tag or a six man tag, like that tag team with Trent, I feel was like kind of like a random throw together that just they've been like living off that, and now they're going back really to New Japan, which is really cool. Yeah, it's really cool, man. And he he's been just you know Mister Reliable, you know what I mean? Like the guy you can count on to like get the crowd going, man. And um, I guess like it just kind of happened by accident with the the streak, right? The the undefeated streak. And, like, had he not been in bowl last year, he probably would have lost and the streak would have been over and the whole story would have been dead. So, like, he just got lucky and the last year and a half just clicks. And sometimes it just clicks. And like like Daniel Bryan, right, he kind of came out of nowhere, slow momentum. All of a sudden, things just click. And that's what happened with Chuck Taylor. But now that, you know, that the title's off of him and all the focus is now on Ricochet and what's going to happen, like, you know, build up the next big – top guy and that's gonna be Keith Lee I think mm. do you have any thoughts on Chuck Taylor Eric oh man I mean just like Brian said Mr. Reliable uh easily my favorite guy on commentary next to Excalibur he's just one of those guys too though where I've seen him wrestle in two different promotions besides PWG I went to an Evolve show during uh 
Rumble weekend in San Antonio. And I recently went to ROH in Vegas for Death Before This Honor. And it is crazy to see the difference of how Chuck Taylor is taken by the fans in other promotions that aren't PWG, where he's just so stupid over. And it's like what I was saying earlier, where the fans get things over that are really dumb to me and I don't get it, but then I eventually learned to love it. And I think Chuck Taylor was one of those things to me where he was just the comedy guy. Then he started getting on the winning streak and everyone was pushing it or everyone was just getting super hot for him. And I'm like, okay, like he's not actually going to be champ. And then he did it. And I'm like, okay, this is fine. I knew he was going to win after he had beat uh, Adam Cole during the mystery vortex 2016 show. I was stupid drunk. The show has been terrible. Somehow we had a bad Pete Dunn match. And I'm just like, okay, we're going to get Chuck Taylor, Adam Cole. And if Chuck Taylor wins, this makes everything worth it. <laughs> and he won. And it was at that point where I accepted, okay, Chuck's going to be the new champ at some point. And he deserved it for all the years of service. I mean, he had really, he's been here just as long as the Bucks. I talked to the Bucks about him after Cole left, after Roddy left. And, they're just like, yeah, it's just us and Chuck now. Like, they really don't know much of the locker room anymore. It's just a bunch of new guys. Like, they're there doing their job at this point. And that's a reason why Keith Lee needs to be the next new champ because Ricochet, another PWG, not original, but just one of the longer-tenured PWG guys, I think we're ready to go into this new era. And Keith Lee to be the champ to start this new era and a new batch of rivalries and a new run, a long run, because Chuck Taylor's run only lasted two months. Ricochet's run's only going to last what's going to be one show probably. Hmm. And I think Keith Lee is the right guy to put the title on for a long year, a year long run to who knows who will eventually win Bola this year, who will probably challenge him for it at the next, at the show after that. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, like, that the short runs is very rare for PWG because you look at you look at their world title. It's been a lot of really really long runs. Oh yeah. So, um, did, of the of the long title range, was there any that you guys thought went on too long? I think Zach, Joey Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> Joey fucking Ryan. Oh god, that and even for me, like it was the tail end of his run at in two thousand six, and after like. Two title matches, I was like, oh, God, this is like the Jeff Jarrett title matches where it's just a bunch of shtick. A guy's going to get, like, uh, a near fall, and all of a sudden there's all these run-ins and all this bullshit. And that was, like, the Joey Ryan title run. And then when he finally lost to Human Tornado, I was like, okay, thank God. Um, and he never got the title back again. <laughs> and I was just like, God, they never, ever need to put this title back on this guy again. <laughs> um, yeah, even now, I think. It's incredible to think that Jordan Ryan was champion. It was just bad. Because it's like for thirteen months, yeah, for thirteen months, he's this comedy guy that you know people know for like, you know, having tests of strength with his penis and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that guy was PWG World Champion for a year. It's so (laughs) weird. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it was something else. But what any other ones? Sorry, at the time, that's an abuse of power. No, (laughs) are there any other ones that you thought went on a little too long? I was just saying, Zach, at some point, it just, I don't think he was getting good matchups. And he also didn't defend it that many times. Yeah, I'm looking at this here. You only have five defenses in 489 days. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so it was 
it was tough for Zach to be champ. I don't know what the problem was with booking title matches for him. We had a random, like, in a weird move by Dragon to tweet a match before, like, even announcing the show name where he was just like, okay, on this date, uh, Zach Sabre Jr. will go up against Dick Togo in a non-title match. It's like, dude, like, what? <laughs> like, can we get a title match? And also, the previous tag champs, the Lucha Bros, had a really tough run as well because – it was just so hard for some reason to get Pentagon and Phoenix on the same show together. And eventually yeah, that kinda, to uh, riddle. Oh. That kind of sucked the tag division. So, so there's a, so like a yeah. recent booking criticism you guys would have is it was difficult to book champions, um, book their title defenses and maybe they shouldn't yeah, have put the, like, maybe they shouldn't have put the belts on these guys. They couldn't get dates for them. Yeah, and it was weird too, like with his acting, like Eric was saying, like he, he got booked in like some shows where like you could have easily booked the title match and they just booked him in a tag kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, I even Chuck Taylor mentioned that. Sorry, what was that? I was like, how many yeah, leaders so matches? It's been kind of tough with the tag and title matches um, have been lacking and that kind of sucked. But I think now that we got a more consistent tag team, especially with Cobb being um, a drive away um, in Cali and, uh, you know, Matt Riddle. Always loving to come into Cali. I think it's going to be a lot more easier to book title matches now with those two. Wow, that that last Young Bucks reign was like like a year and a half. Jesus, yeah, almost two years. Wow, I've seen so uh, many Young Bucks title matches. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, they have they've made thirty one defenses of these belts combined over their four reigns. I think I've seen all of them live. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> And then I'm just looking at the list of like the the longest reigning champions. Joey Ryan and Candice LeRae had the belts for like almost a year, and they made three defenses. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, that's kind of what happens with some of the bookings. Sometimes. <laughs> what was Chris Bosch and Scott Loss like? Do you remember them? Because they, I see here, the second longest reigning champions. Oh yeah, they had eleven defenses. Yeah, they were they were good in the ring. It's just they were very much about their like gimmick and like Chris Bosch was very much like this guy that was just like. Um, he would say some racist things sometimes. He would just try to get under your skin kind of thing and be annoying. Scott Loss was kind of like the guy that was just there to, you know, do a lot of the in-ring work and stuff. And Response was kind of like this comedy guy kind of thing. Um, he was the first guy to win Bola. Totally undeserving, I felt. I remember watching that DVD and just be like, this guy just won Bola and he beat AJ Styles in like four minutes. What the hell? But again, that was a different time, man. Like a completely really different time. Where the line with racism and wrestling? Was El Generico not the most offensive gimmick? <laughs> <laughs> In hindsight, it's amazing he got away with that for so as long as he did, right? Like, it's getting signed too. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, but like, it's one of those things. <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, you look back on it now, and it's like, wow. Like that. I don't know if he should have got away with that for as long as he did. <laughs> He, he, it was easy to overlook it when he's just such an amazing in-ring talent. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I guess if he was, if he was doing it as a heel too, probably I'm sure people would have had more of a problem with it. But like, yeah. I, I guess that he was always supposed to be like this lovable guy that everybody just kind of was like, well, whatever. But yeah, I mean, like there is a reading of that gimmick that is not, that's not nice. So, <laughs> no. um, at the time, I don't really remember anyone complaining about it though. And again, because I saw him years and years in Ring of Honor too. But yeah, he didn't exist when he was wrestling in the Indies. Yeah, I guess that's the thing, right? Maybe he got he signed like just in time, probably. Yeah. 
Um, if he if he can, if they if he got released, like I don't think he would go back to that kid. Oh no, he can never wear uh, a mask again. Unfortunately, yeah. if he were to, I don't think he'd get released, but leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there, there's been a lot of the long title reigns. I, I was surprised. So nobody had a problem with the Adam Cole reign that won 538 days. I he think was, he was just killing it with his personality. Yeah, because Adam Cole's a very divisive right? like guy. Like the talking was. Yeah, the talking was great, and I felt he knocked it out, man, with his promos. And um, he would cut these promos before some of the matches, and he would get under the, everyone's skin and just be like this effective heel that we didn't have for a while at the time, I think. So he did, that was his thing, he was a heel? It was like, yeah, it was like Kevin Steen and Neil Generico were switching the title back and forth, and those were like, you know, baby faces of the crowd. I and mean, once Adam Cole became this turn in 2012, and then he won Ebola. Um, I felt he just clicked and you know I think that title range should have went longer to be honest I would have stressed mm-hmm. that even more kind of just you know booked the title chance like a kind of like a random show no I think I remember I think that, that, that point, <laughs> it was definitely his time I mean they did was, the O'Reilly they did the O'Reilly title change a lot a lot better time than Ring of Honor did well, no, the only reason why yeah. Kyle O'Reilly had to drop the PWG title was after Adam Cole got hurt at a PWG show, uh, Ring of Honor pulled all their talent and had them under exclusive contracts. And then it wasn't until the Bucks signed their deal with Ring of Honor that let them go to New Japan and PWG was when we got all those guys back, like Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. So O'Reilly's mm-hmm. run should have been much longer, honestly, and probably could have been much better than it was. Mm. It's interesting. Um, so the so that that whole thing, I guess, with the Ring of Honor thing. I mean, that I'm sure to the PWG fan base, Ring of the Ring of Honor promotion was the heels in that whole thing, as you would imagine. What was the what was the reaction like? I guess when that whole when the pulling of the town happened. No, it was shit. We lost a lot of great guys. ACH was killing it at the time. Uh, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly. I mean, as we were losing guys to WWE, losing guys to Ring of Honor. Uh, people were going to New Japan, limiting their schedule. It was just a weird phase, but it never stopped PWG from still booking great guys. And that was right after the – right before the 2014 boom also. I think that was probably what helped make Dragon – make that decision to start booking all these guys was that like shit i'm losing all my american guys might as like we we have to go all in like i don't know if we're gonna get them back Mm. i guess that makes sense yeah and i think it was from then we got like speedball yep biff remember we got that crop of guys from like ccw we got biff um i remember we got monster mafia for a short time and then they were gone for some reason i don't know why John Silver and Alex Reynolds came in for a bit. Fresh talent, like see what hits and misses. At the same time, they were able to keep right. Um, so Roddy was killing it then. I'm um, Zach was like be a guy that came in a couple times a year, and then once he started getting regularly booked, I was like, oh shit, we got Zach on the regular now. Yeah. Helped at the time too, and it gave like a chance for other guys to get the shine, and and then that's when Speedball got big, and that's when Zach got big, and then they ended up being in the final bowl of that year. 
and it obviously because he never went back to Ring of Honor. They lost. They lost Mike Bailey with the whole, um, you know, the visa thing. Well, that I'm sure it sucked for them. That sucks. He was super over. Yeah. But he and uh, Adam Cole had a damn classic of a match. Him and Biff had a great match. Uh, Speedball was a PWG guy for sure. This one of those guys that. Like I always say, what Dragon expects from the guys to make them want to come, to make them come back, and just taking it 110 percent. And Speedball is just one of those guys, very Daniel Bryan esque. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so do you have any other thoughts? I guess on. Oh, I think we talked about most of the title reigns. Are there any title reigns you think are really underrated that ne- don't never get talked about? Hmm. Underrated. Mm, I don't know. Like I guess like I'm looking, uh, here, like, I'm I looking remember at like... AJ Styles. Okay. Like AJ Styles had some good matches that people forget. Like I remember he had a good match against Dragon. I think he beat Dragon for the title. Yeah, that's because, uh, AJ, um, 2005, AJ Styles won the title. And I think, I think he lost it like Kevin Steen or something, but he had a really underrated run, I think. He had some good title matches and people were really picking up on it. I remember he had a good match against Super Dragon that really people didn't pick up on either. I think it was, it was like the dark times of PWG when they were just trying to get their footing. And then, you know, the DVD sales started to pick up a little after that. But, like, people forget, like, AJ Styles was the champ for a while, bringing in all these TNA guys and stuff. And, and that was very Yeah, it was on. just a, a weird time. He held the belt for like four Yeah, 2005. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what, do you have any? I don't know if you watched back that long, but like, what was Kazarian like as the first, the first and third champion? I remember watching the DVDs and just being like, okay, these these are guys that are good. I remember watching Frankie Kazarian in local indies in like two thousand one, two thousand two, around this area too. Like, okay, he's good. Um, and then you can tell like they were trying to trying to figure out what you know their main event scene was going to be. Because Aaron was not the guy to kind of build around, and they couldn't really build around AJ Styles or Samoa Joe because those were like fly-ins. Yeah. So they kind of had their, you know, they had to be tied to like Frankie Zary and Adam, Adam Pierce, Joey Ryan, those kind of guys, and then Tornado. eventually they put the belt on Super Dragon. It was just a different time, you know. Um, I think, uh, man, that time was just such a different time, and, and the Frankie Kazarian, like. He would come and go. I remember in the DVDs, he came and went. Um, but it's just so weird to think that he was, like, one of the first PWG champions and whatever. And, yeah, just uh, – it took him a while to figure out what their champion was going to be about. You know what I mean? It took him a while. And I think the Joey Ryan reign was the first reign, even though I didn't like it, kind of made the title seem – the. Uh, the length of time and the 13 month reign and all the people that he went through to do it and all the controversy and all that bullshit. I remember from the DVDs. So it's so weird yeah. now looking back on it, that super dragon only had the title for like five months. Mm-hmm. Like that was his entire, this entire <laughs> run of PWGs only had the title for five months total. Yeah. Unlike some other people like Jeff Jarrett booking themselves to be world champion in their own promotion for God knows how long. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so do you have any thoughts on Super Dragon? There's a guy we haven't talked about at all. What a legend. Man, legend. 
what a legend. You go ahead first. What a guy. I mean, it's just he's doing things the way he wants to do it, and you got to respect it. It's working. Who the hell sells this many wrestling DVDs? <coughs> like, just the no streaming, the insane surge in ticket pricing, the supply and demand. He's a business genius. He's better for the business. He creates a lot of opportunity for everybody and kind of an inspiration really. And he puts his fucking body on the line too. I mean, the last time he wrestled, he tore up his heel, which is why he hasn't been back. But I mean, you just got to respect the man. I mean, he does things the way he wants to do it. I think he's better for the business and for the boys. And He's got respect him. He's a legend. And hopefully he gets the respect he deserves once this is all said and done. Um, yeah, I mean, his in-ring stuff is crazy. <laughs> like, I've seen him do crazy shit with, like, Joey Ryan and Kevin Steen back in the early days. And you can tell why he's not wrestling now. It's just, like, he put his body on the line. And I think looking back now, he probably regrets a lot of it. And, I mean, I literally saw him do, like um, – a neck breaker off the, the middle rope to the floor, like a gym floor, and he's literally like convulsing on the ground, just like convulsing. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, he's committed yeah. to his craft. And I know that he's a big, important, you know, guy and legend to the, especially the SoCal indie scene and being in like XPW back in the day. And like, um, people forget about like Revolution Pro, I think it was called, which was like the precursor to like PWD or something. Yeah. I don't know the entire history, but I've heard that term before no, I, I, and I, I know just that. feel like yeah. he's a guy that yeah he just put his body on the line and it just you can tell like he probably regrets a lot of it but at the same time it's just like gotta stick to it and i think him being behind the curtain and you know being the, the man behind pwg has kind of like changed things and i feel like him like taking less role um back in the day of wrestling and taking more of a backstage role really shape the company into what it is today and it's all because of him i remember excalibur tweeting or someone tweeting excalibur like oh why don't you wrestle anymore and then he tweeted back a gif of super dragon throwing him into a pile of chairs or through a table or something he's like this is why and (laughs) yeah just those two in general i mean you gotta credit excalibur just as much as super dragon not just as much but one a one b of pwg and its success he came so he came back for two matches uh in twenty fifteen after he'd been gone for three years, and then that was the only two appearances he made. Do you think you'll ever see him again? That was when he, that was when he hurt his heel, so yeah. I think he's still kind of messed up from that, but I don't see him coming back for any time soon, really. I don't know it's always random at. I think that yeah, he doesn't need to come back. Someone, like that brings it out of him. Like I know the Bucks can bring it out of him, and they kind of inspire him to bring it out. Like I remember that year. Like yeah, he like they convinced him to do that six man street fight with like remember that with Biff Busick and Trevor Lee and I think it was Andrew Everett. That was incredible. And yeah. again, Dragon putting his body on the line after all the punishment he's been taking. He he only intended to wrestle that weekend, and that was it. Um. Maybe Joey Janela. Like, I've asked Joey Janela about that at PWD. He's like, that's probably not going to happen. But I think that would be something. Like, him calling out Super Dragon and then him not answering. And then all of a sudden, like, 
uh, the lights go out and Dragon comes out and answers the challenge, I think that's a strong, I mean, not a strong possibility, but that seems like a scenario that, that would make sense, you know? I can mm-hmm. see him coming back from one match just to put a guy over. So Janela, Joey Janela has been calling Super Dragon out? Well, I saw a tweet about it, and I think he was just kind of like throwing out names to get attention. And then um, I asked him about it at the show. I'm like, that would be sick if you called out Super Dragon and had a match with him. He's like, that's probably not going to happen. Uh-huh. So um, I picture getting Super Dragon to come out of retirement or hiding or whatever and, um, you know, just put a guy over. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, okay, so let's, I guess, let me think some other... Is there anything else you guys want to talk about PWG wise before we wrap it up? Like, is there any any topics you don't think we've covered? I think uh, we pretty think much got everything. The process of going to a PWG show, I think people are very interested in. Okay, go ahead, take us through that because I have no idea. Well, I guess it starts with getting your tickets <laughs> and sitting on sitting on the PWG ticketing site at seven fifty nine, clicking refresh for five different tabs, nonstop having your PayPal signed in, ready to go. These are just the tips, I guess, of buying a PWG ticket. And, uh, you know, try and even if you don't get a ticket, this is what I tell people all the time, just come to the venue, find someone in line who might have an extra because it is LA and people flake all the time. And someone in line is going to have an extra ticket. The illustrious night two of bullet ticket, I did not have until 11 a.m. the day of the show. Mm. And that was just because I showed up at 8 in the morning and someone had a friend who backed out and they knew I needed a ticket and gave it to me. Um, so never think you're going to not get into PWG because with that attitude, you're not. And if you really want it, you can make it happen. So, so, the, so like as far as buying the ticket goes, though, online, just refreshing over and over again, that's basically it. Yeah, just yeah, try just and make sure that you can be, you got to be on top. Yeah. Be on point. Yeah. Um, and then as far as like the actual, I get you mentioned something about like lines, like how it, there's separate lines or something like that. There are three lines at PWG. Against the wall is uh, front row, in the middle is general admission, and to the left of general admission is standing room only. Mm. So front row gets in first, then GA, then standing room. And anyone that doesn't have a ticket at that point still, uh, Dragon will probably take your money and you'll probably get in. <laughs> That's kind of awesome, actually. It's, uh, it's very much like a football tailgating atmosphere. Morning, you know, just to, like cold seats for people kind of got their their seats that they claim and everyone's kind of got kind of got their clicks or whatever or multiple clicks or clicks that interact with other clicks like a community at a pwg show especially when you get there and everyone's just chilling playing cars playing nintendo switch handing out water and food to each other and yeah it's really like a cool atmosphere man it's very much like a family um you know when you get there early you just kind of want to like stay there and chill you know I know people that don't even want to like like later than four or five o'clock and the show starts at eight, but they just want to get there early and hang out with everybody. So that's really cool. I feel it's like kind of like um, just compared to like summer camp sometimes, especially with like bowling when you see all these people, you only see like summer kind of thing, and you're hanging out and you see them that one time. It's pretty cool, man. 
Um, so, so I guess, yeah, that, that'd be, cause I, I, w- I think I was talk- talking to you guys off the air about this, but like, I am making a couple trips out to LA next year and it'd be awesome if I could see a PWG show, but I just have no idea. Like, I know the dates for my trips, but they announced their shows. So like, um, I don't know, haphazardly, as far as I can tell that it seems hard for me to keep, but I just basically should keep on, should stay on top of it and try to um just keep up with whenever the shows are basically right i would definitely look at what evolve and wrestle circus might be doing around those times you're going because i mean a lot of the times we're booking guys that are going straight from pwg right to those places oh i say it's interesting so because usually at this point now because pwg runs on fridays unless it's a multiple day show um Friday seems to be the day that PWG is running now because in, in accordance to the other indies and other guys being contracted to evolve, that's a big, that's like why we have to run on Fridays now is because we're booking so many guys from evolve and they're contracted and we got to make sure that they get to their obligations and Russell circus has become PWG of the South. They like, they uh, call it on Twitter and, like we're, we're booking guys like Sammy Guevara, who's Mr. Wrestle Circus. So, I mean, it's just that's for me to at least see what dates PWG is considering. So, do they where's the first place they announce it? It's basically just Twitter. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. If like going to All Star Weekend, talking to the wrestlers, they kind of drop the hints sometimes of like when at least the month they'll be. And it just it depends. Like I know Dave Meltzer talk, like pretty much confirmed January twelfth is the next show. I had heard that from a couple of the other wrestlers, like right after All Star Weekend, and it just gives you a heads up, I guess, at that point. But yeah, I'd say we usually find out an idea of when the next show is after whatever show we just attend. Because I would, it would be awesome if they were running the Friday of the weekend when um when new Japan is running that show at long beach. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. probably going to come out for that and I could go to see a PWG show Friday night and then go to the new Japan show after, but that would be, yeah, and that. PWG ran five days after the new Japan show when it was, uh, out here in July. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That was when uh, Chuck Taylor won the title it was five days after, uh, G1 USA. Because yeah, the other, the other weekend I'm going, I'm going to be in LA is for anime expo. So if they're oh. running, if they were running that weekend, that'd be really cool. But I don't I don't think they would run the same weekend as Anime Expo, but I don't know. I guess it's uh I don't Never know if that really affects Yeah. Um, you just gotta get lucky. Yeah, basically. Um but yeah, I guess that'll basically wrap things up. Um is there anything you guys want to plug before we get out of here? Uh Brian? Um I'll plug my Twitter. Um Brian DeBrain. Um, on Twitter, it's uh, DA, not the. And hit me up if you want to have interesting I don't know, Twitter conversations. I've had some inquiries about some graphic design stuff. And um, I guess if you want the uh, the first word on the <laughs> bullet trading cards, follow my Twitter because you'll definitely get those tweets during the summer. So be on top of that. Uh, you can follow me. I'm almost as bad a tweeter as Leo Rush at SuperJew1. Uh, I don't even tweet about PWG ever. I like to keep it low-key. Because I don't want, because I live in Reseda and I don't want everyone to know about it and make it more difficult for me to get a ticket. So, yeah, that's it. I like sports. Go Dodgers. 
John, this was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'll obviously just if you can follow the Wrestling Omakaze Twitter account, please do that. It's at Wrestle Omakaze. Just wrestle, no wrestling. Um, we'll be back next week with our DDT year interview episode, getting back to the year interview series. And our guest for that episode will be Mort, who runs the Real Hill Archive, and Drew from the Voice of Wrestling podcast, Burning Spirits. So definitely tune in for that one. And guys, thank you for coming on, and we'll see you all next week. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.